Welcome to the story behind her success with Candy O'Terry, presented by Boston Women in Media and Entertainment, sponsored by Tech Help Boston. Did you know that when we tell someone a story they are inspired by or can relate to, something happens to their brain? It's true. Suddenly there's a connection between the storyteller and the listener. Something called neural coupling occurs and our brain produces oxytocin, the happy hormone which increases our ability to feel compassion. And if that story is inspiring, it motivates us to action. Stories teach us so much, we learn that if she can do it, I can do it. In the spotlight, a woman whose story is bound to motivate and to inspire you. Roberta Sidney, welcome to the story behind her success. Thank you for having me, Candy. I've been reading all about you and I've got so many questions. You're one of the most exceptional women I've had a chance to meet in a while. And there are so many parts to your expertise. So let's chunk it down just a little bit. Let's start with Sydney Associates, where you are the founder and the CEO. What does your company offer its clients? Walk me through your day. My company is a property management and development company, real estate development company, and we have excelled at providing outstanding rental experiences for the people we do business with. And they are residents of multifamily apartment buildings, they are office tenants, and then they are retail tenants. And so every day is different. And, uh, and long. <laughs> yeah, well, long at times, long at times. Do you love what you do? I do. I feel that I am like a movie producer, which means that I'm coming up with a vision, what can go on this piece of land or this in this building, and then bringing together the people, the money, the energy to make it happen and make it real. As an independent director, executive, business builder, you are called upon to oversee and to chair investment committees, boards of closely held companies, from what I've read. And I'm going to guess that you also need to be the voice of reason, to be that person who is the peacekeeper, the negotiator. Tell me what that's like. First of all, what I would tell you is on some of my boards, it is the voice of reason, the voice of wisdom. Having been there, having done that, the opportunity to pay it forward in a different way and help an entrepreneur or help a founder who's in a different place and time uh, navigate the waters, which are sometimes choppy, that can be very helpful. And it's very rewarding for me to, to see that person succeed and excel. And it could be advice about the person that they're trying to keep on board and that doesn't seem to be happening and letting them know it's okay, let the person go, the next person is going to probably be a better fit and a longer term fit. It's also being that person who can see the bigger picture. So for example, on one of my boards, it's a women's executive organization called C200. That organization, we have done great things for women, and we continue to look for ways to be relevant in the world today and being able to contribute at that board level is, is also interesting at times. I'm going to guess that there are often times when you are the only woman at the table. How do you project your strength, your confidence, the wisdom that you just described in difficult situations? That's true, especially in commercial real estate development. One of the things that I have found is there's never a line for the ladies' room. <laughs> I mean, it's one of the things I like, um, but I really do want more women who are in the field. So yeah. I'm, I'm kidding when I say that. What I have found, though, is I've used it to my advantage. There are certain occasions when people 
might underestimate what I know or what I'm capable of. And so I'll ask lots of questions. Yes. Be very interested, very curious. And what I have found is people will share way more with me than I would have thought they would share, probably maybe even way more than they should have shared. But it's very helpful for me to understand what their motivations are, what their interests are, and, and again, to align my interests, not necessarily to take advantage of anyone. But I recall one case in particular where I was doing a development in Cambridge. We were talking with one group about a restaurant on the second floor. And this had gone quite far along. We were meeting with the potential tenant, their architect. And I was the only woman in the room. Let's just face it. I was the only woman in the room. And everybody there just assumed I was somebody's secretary or maybe the broker or maybe a lawyer. No one understood kind of who I was. And so we sort of sat down and they were really being very dismissive. And and I just said, okay, well, let's get down to business. And they're like, well, yeah. And who are you? And I said, well, I own the property and I'm the person in charge here. And it kind of took everybody aback. But but I say it in a way that's matter of fact. It's not to make anybody feel It's not bad. combative. No, it's not or combative. Or angry. No, no. And again, once people get to know me, they they understand that I'm straightforward. I'm a very much a say-do person. If I say something, I'm going to do it. That I'm someone who honors my word and who honors relationships, which I think is really important for people, but but certainly for women. You know, that leads me to my next question about relationships. I believe that relationships are everything, Roberta, and mm -hmm. I can tell by the smile on your face that that resonates for you as well. Through the course of your career, has a lot of it been relationship building? Absolutely. There's no question about it. I would say that it's not what you know, it's who you know. There's a phrase, don't tell them how much you know until they know how much you care. I feel so strongly about that. I'll give you another example. There was a, a case a number of years ago in one of my residential buildings where there was a tenant. And this was a market rate building, you know, someone paying very good rent. And he was just being kind of abusive to some of the staff, these people who worked for me. All the layers in my company were trying to deal with it, and it just got to the point where even with escalation, it, it wasn't getting better. It was getting worse. So I called him in and said, look, I'd like to sit down with you as the owner of the company. We sat down, and I said, clearly, this is not a good fit, and I'm prepared to help you break your lease soon and have you move somewhere else where you can find what you want. And he started going on about how he pays good rent and this, that, the other. And I said, I really don't care how much you pay. It doesn't give you the right to treat people that way. These are people that work for me. They work for us. They work to make your home comfortable. And if this is how you feel you want to act and can act, then this isn't a place where we want you to be. Does fear ever play a part in some of these scenarios? I would say, well, there's a book I read a long time ago called Feel the Fear and Do It Anyway. I just love that book. It's, it's a short book. It's a I'm good reading read. it right after we're done with okay. this interview. I can't say that I'm never afraid because I do think that that there are times when I get a little nervous, like, you know, doing this Anybody interview. Anybody else would. <laughs> <laughs> but I never let it stop me. I think that's the yeah. difference. I think that's the difference. And the other is that I'm always very prepared. I think that helps you if you are afraid. It's like, okay, well, how can I be prepared to handle whatever it is. And and I think there are ways to do it, but I don't fear calling anyone. I don't fear talking to anyone. I don't feel anyone is better than me. I don't feel better than anyone. I like people. So if you like people, you can talk to people. And, and again, I think asking questions 
helps a lot if you if you ask questions as opposed to you know make demands or come across as a very strident, difficult person. What is your leadership philosophy? I believe in finding the genius in others and allowing that to shine. And I see myself doing that in so many places, in so many arenas. I don't want to be the smartest person in the room. I don't want to be the one who's doing everything. I want to allow people to to shine and to get credit and take credit and feel good about their growth and their learning. I always feel about the people who've worked for me. It wasn't about guaranteeing them employment. It was more about guaranteeing them employability. And that meant building them up, building their skills, recognizing their talents, helping them with things they needed to work on and grow into. And that's that's how I lead. You had mentioned earlier an organization called C200, and you serve as the treasurer. It's a membership association for top female operating executives. So tell me a little bit about the organization, the mission, the goals, and why that work is so important to you. Well, having gone to Wellesley College and having been a part of many different women's organizations, I came upon C200 maybe about 10 or 15 years ago. It is definitely a membership organization. We have about 540 members, mostly in North America, but a few internationally. Mm -hmm. And it is made up of a mix of entrepreneurs and corporate women, which is the only organization that I know that's like that. So in order to be eligible for membership, you have to have a P&L responsibility. As an entrepreneur, you have to be running a company that's 20 million or more. And as a corporate member, you have to be uh, having P&L responsibility for a quarter billion or more with a B. That's some power. Yes, it is a powerful group of women. I'm feeling very fortunate to be uh, in a leadership role with this group because it is an impressive group. We have Grammy Award winning music producers. We've had people working with SpaceX putting rockets up in space. It is a very interesting group of women. And what we're all about is success shared. That's one of our bylines. And what we're looking to do is to help one another achieve, grow, develop, and then also reach back to the women who haven't yet gotten where we've gotten. We have a few signature programs where we educate and inspire young women or women who are building businesses. They may not be quite so young, but they're not quite where membership would be at for them. And we try to help them get there. It's all about helping women in business, one another and others. You know, I remember someone telling me years ago in an interview that she said she felt it was her job to allow the next woman to stand on her shoulders. Mm-hmm. And I love that expression. Mm-hmm. Your career in the banking industry is very long. And you were a senior vice president for State Street and before that for Bay Bank all the way through the 1990s, which mm-hmm. was a pretty exciting time to be in banking, right? What did you learn from that chapter in your career that you brought with you along the way? Having been a French major in college, I would say that going into banking and financial services was a a little bit of a challenge. Not that I didn't have the ability, but it certainly wasn't evident initially on my resume. And so it was very important to me to have the the credibility. And I like numbers a lot, and I like building businesses. And so what I really got out of my experience in financial services was the opportunity to take that entrepreneurial spirit and work within these companies. So I worked within Baybank to build up the mortgage company. Uh, They hadn't ever 
broken through anything but you know a very low number in terms of the purchase money mortgages. We got them to number one, my team and I. And then at State Street, building a brand new line of business uh, there too to go after the registered investment advisor market. And even back to my first early days, becoming the performance measurement analyst for the Boston company and building a what sounds so old now, but a direct financial services business for them. They, there were no ATMs. I can't even imagine the world now with <laughs> without ATMs everywhere. You know, setting up a call center and selling mortgages and mutual funds over the phone. Again, nothing heretical today. But back when I started out, getting an envelope printed with someone's name on it, as opposed to a sticker that you put on an envelope, that was a big deal. So wow. being being part of those yeah. transformations was exciting. It makes you realize how far you've come, too. You I, know? Know. I know. Entrepreneurship. Yes. I believe that doing the work that you do, being surrounded by the women that you work with for C200, gives you a really great view of excellence in entrepreneurship. What's the secret formula for success as an entrepreneur, in your opinion? You're certainly one of them. Recognizing that cash is king and that you have to have the ability to withstand ups and downs. Hoping for the best, but planning for the worst. I think these are the, the, the hallmarks of, of good entrepreneurs and being very persistent. No just means not now, not this way. It doesn't mean no and turn tail and, and it's the end. You know, I, I know so many people who went out of business as real estate developers in the 2008 downturn. Sure. And I'm very proud of the fact that I didn't have a layoff. I'm proud of the fact that I never missed a mortgage payment. I never had to do anything except stay the course. One building that I was going to build in 2008, I sat on the land for five years. You have to be able to be patient and see it through. And for many entrepreneurs, they have to have the long game and the vision and the cash to make it through. If, if you don't have cash... There is no mission without money. (laughs) (laughs) You are also a trusted advisor to CEOs and founders. And I see this as really a sacred role, one that can often be a balancing act because you're there to help and to guide, to inspire, to inform, but you're not the one who's making the decision. Talk to me about that work. Well, I really like that, actually. I bet you do. I bet you're very, very good at it based on just getting to know you in this interview. You're a teacher. Yes, I you am. Are. I am. I like helping people who want to be helped. And that is that is the first test. So in any role that I've ever taken on like this, I always check for the cement ears. That's one of my tests. If we have a conversation and I ask a question or make a suggestion, it's like, oh, well, that wouldn't work for me. Or, oh, my company's different. Or, oh, you just don't understand. Then I know that this person is not really open to be challenged, questioned, pushed, if you will, to be better. That's really important to me. I'm thinking about a conversation I had recently with an entrepreneur who's out raising seed capital right now. And one of the questions he posed to me and a few of the other advisors was, we have customers, we want to provide access to these people who might give us some funding to talk with our customers. How do we do it so we don't overwhelm our customers? We talked about it in one of the suggestions I made. I said, look, you can get testimonials. You can do an audio interview. You can do a video interview. Provide that at the early stage. But do not overwhelm your customers with 12 
meetings they have to have or 12 phone calls they have to have with people who just want to kick the tires. And for him, that was just such an aha as opposed to, you know, how do I twist arms to get someone to take 12 (laughs) phone calls? Again, experience and being able to think outside the box and have people who want to learn and grow and and do great things. I am going to guess that you are on an airplane a lot. You know, I do travel. Um, I actually take the train quite a bit because I have a board that I sit on in New York. So I take the train to New York. I like the train. I love the Acela because I can work, I can sleep, I can crochet if I want to. I There's can a hum and a rhythm, window. right? Exactly. Yes, for uh, for my C200 board, I'm on a plane there. I always come home. Boston is home. Overseeing companies in transition or dealing with succession issues, these are often emotionally charged situations, aren't they? How do you stay calm? How do you stay fair? How do you stay balanced, yet empathetic when emotions are high? I sit on the board of Plaxol, which is the company that was going to be uh, doing a deal with Amazon to bring Amazon to Long Island City. So there were a lot of very interesting conversations during the run-up to that announcement and then subsequent when Amazon pulled out Mm -hmm. in, in February. What I would say is that It is experience. It is remembering that God gave you two ears and one mouth. Um, (laughs) And and also being willing to put the time in. I I can tell you that one of the things I did in that situation was I called up each member of the board individually to talk with them one-on-one. What's your perspective? What are your concerns? What are your questions? What are your issues? I find that that often diffuses things if people get a chance to... And they feel that they're heard. They can be heard. They can vent if they want without having a lot of repercussion with with tempers and emotion. So it's just understanding that there are both at play and trying to get the best out of everyone does take some energy. But if you treat people well, allow them to be heard, as you said, I think that is one of the key factors there. You know, one of the things that I'm learning from sitting across from you and certainly from researching you before you came into the studio today is that you are very wise. I'm wondering where some of the values that you've shared with us today come from. Hmm. So I wonder if you could share a little bit about your early life, your childhood. Where do you come from and what was life like in your house? Hmm. Please support our sponsors. They make this show possible. More than 30,000 families and businesses have trusted TechHelpBoston.com since the year 2000. Dave Elmazian, president of TechHelpBoston, with the reasons why. It's really about forging a relationship and having a trusting relationship because your technology is very personal to you. It used to be in the old days that things were private. When you're online, nothing is private anymore. And we want to make sure that that information is kept confidential and with somebody that you trust and you feel comfortable with. You can trust TechHelpBoston to keep your computer and systems running right. Call 781-484-1265 or visit techhelpboston.com. That's techhelpboston.com. Well, I grew up in an Orthodox Jewish family with four siblings. I'm the oldest girl. Well, the first four of us were all born within six years, and then my little sister was much later, so she's 12 years younger than I am, and like a daughter in, in many respects, and her daughter is, is like another granddaughter to my husband and me. The pivotal moment, I think, in my life when growing up was my mother had a stroke when I was 13. We ranged in age from one and a half to 14. My older brother was 14 years old. 
And it was... But you were the oldest girl. I was the oldest girl in an Orthodox Jewish family where a lot falls to the women to do things around the house and for the kids and for the family. It was a seminal moment. It was before August 3rd, 1972 and after August 3rd, 1972. I think I could have been the person who said, screw it, I'm going to do my thing. I don't care. Or I could take on the yoke and do what needed to be done. And I was pretty obedient, even though I had my frustrations and I certainly (laughs) lashed out at times. I became very efficient. I did a lot for the family and we did make it through, but it wasn't without a cost. I think I became younger as I've gotten older in some ways. I think uh, it made me a very old person and just a very responsible person at much, much too young an age. Did you lose your childhood, Roberta? Because it sounds like you did. I did. I did. I absolutely did. And I found that when I had a daughter and she was going through adolescence, which was around the time when when my life changed, my mother lived, but she was an invalid and has been uh, with us as an invalid since. I didn't understand what that mother-daughter dynamic was because I couldn't lash out at a sick mom. And so when my daughter did it to me, I was a deer in the headlights Really leaned on a lot of my girlfriends going, what is this? How is this happening? It's so interesting you should mention that because my mom died when I was a teenager. Mm. And when I had my own children, in particular when I had my daughter Colleen, Mm -hmm. when she reached the age that I was, when my mom got sick, and then when my mom died, it was a terrifying experience. I think we always worry that life is going to repeat itself or mm. or what is bleeding into this relationship from my old one. Your mother is still alive, she as is, you mentioned. 84. How is she doing? Tell us a little bit about your mom. Mom is inspiring. I mean, you talk about inspiring women. My mother has never shown any signs of not wanting to live and enjoy as much as she possibly can. And for the first years after her stroke, she actually learned to drive again. She lost the use of her right arm and partly the use of her right leg and a lot of her speech. So those are sort of the impacts from her stroke. And she did a lot around the house and she did what she could with one hand. She started painting again. Wow. She traveled with my father when he was alive and was able to travel. They went to the Barcelona Olympics. They came to visit me when I lived in California. They would go and do and be the most active sick people (laughs) that you could ever imagine. And I find that even today extremely inspiring. And so when I get a little hangnail or or even just, you know, a bumper and a bruise, I think, okay, whatever, manage, moving on. Let's put this in perspective. Exactly. Exactly. What was the lesson then for you? What did you learn from all of this? Because it's clear to me that you've taken a lot with it. It's it's who you are. Mm -hmm. What has been the lesson, Roberta? Show up be counted, make a difference, be a contribution. And that is about people. It is about people. Here's another story about my daughter. When she went to Israel on birthright a number of years ago, we have family there in Israel. And I said to her, I said, you know, I really don't care what you do with your pals there, where you go. I know you're staying there for a few days afterwards. I said, but if you do not visit the family at some point during the trip while you're in Israel, don't come back. Don't come back because it's that important to me and it's really important to maintain connections with friends, with family. That's a lesson that I got at home. I've maintained that and I think it's carried to my work life as well. 
Your siblings are also success stories. They're, so there must have just been a, a strong message in your home about education, about striving, about reaching your potential. One of the interesting things, there are three girls and two boys. And one thing I'm eternally grateful for, even though we did grow up in a pretty traditional household, is that there wasn't a distinction about education for girls and education for boys. And when my youngest sister, who was one and a half when my mother had her stroke, showed an interest in the medical field, there was never a decision or discussion about, well, you can be a nurse or you can be a you know respiratory therapist. It's like, okay, great, you'll be a doctor. And she today is a doctor and she's a chief medical officer wow. in New York. And it makes me very proud to say that. You graduated from Wellesley College. Tell me about your experience there, surrounded by smart women for sure. How did that shape and mold you? Well, I love Wellesley. I do. One of the things about being at a place like Wellesley and other schools, too, is that everybody is extremely talented and everybody has something going on that's really interesting. One of the things that I thought I was different about was that my parents were still alive and living together in the same house. That was one of the things I do remember back from when I was at Wellesley. Yeah. During exam period, I remember the experience of when everybody would sit around and everybody would dawdle as much as possible. But as soon as one or two people got up, everybody got up because there was a lot of competitive spirit to, okay, well, if they're going to start studying for exams, I better get my butt up and <laughs> get over to the library or wherever I'm going to go study. Harvard Business School for your MBA, MIT for real estate development. Did you know what you wanted to do early in the game? The actual story goes like this. I was 16 years old. I knew I wanted to study languages because I love languages. I had studied Hebrew and French, a little bit of Spanish when I was in high school, and I wanted to study languages. And I thought, what I'm going to do with my life will be either international business or international law. And so my dad set me up with one of his lawyers, one of his real estate lawyers, and said, you know, why don't you do an internship and you'll see what the law is all about. At the age of 16, I was working for this terrific guy. While I didn't have the words for it, I learned that it was not the seat of the person who decides anything. I didn't know staff, I didn't know line, I didn't know P&L, I didn't know any of those words, but I understood that this was not the chair that I wanted. So I X'd out law very quickly and said, well, I will go to business school then. I will go into business, not really having a strong feeling right away. And I thought, well, I'm not going to go to Harvard undergrad because I'm going to go there for business school. So this is what I said. My 16-year-old self <laughs> did not understand how hard it was, did wow, not understand. I was not <laughs> thinking about any of this when I was 16, so I'm very impressed with I this. know. Well, what's impressive <laughs> to me is that I, I was so naive. I didn't know that it would be difficult. I love business. I really do. But I think I could be happy in lots of different businesses. One day I, I might be Willy Wonka because I really love the chocolate <laughs> arena. So that would that would make me happy, too. It doesn't have to be real estate or financial services. Do you have anything on your bucket list, Roberta? I mean, you just talked about Willy Wonka. You know, maybe you'll have a chocolate factory. If this whole thing stopped for you in your life and you needed to reinvent yourself, what would you do? Well, I feel like I am reinventing myself with the board work now because getting out of the chair, as you say, you're, you're no longer the one who's doing things. You're now advising and helping others. That feels like my third act. If my first act was financial services and building businesses inside of large companies and my second act was building my own business and building communities with, with great buildings and you know, great tenants, now this is my third act, which is about working in a variety of fields, mostly real estate, tech, which is really interesting and new, 
Yeah. And uh, I wasn't really paying that much attention to it when I was, you know, building buildings. If that ended, I don't know. I don't have a, an answer. But I, I know I wouldn't sit around and eat bonbons. It wouldn't be that. I can't imagine you doing that. Being a single mom can be overwhelming. I have been there, and it's all on your shoulders. At least it was on mine. How did you navigate that chapter in your life and provide a, a good home and plenty of love for your kids? Together now with my husband, we have three children and now two grandchildren as of last Wednesday, which is exciting. But raising her on my own from the age of two was a challenge, there's no doubt. It was a combination of cobbling together daycare and nannies and friends and can you pick her up and can she go to your house and I have a late meeting and doing all of those things for one another and with one another. Girlfriends are so important, <laughs> whether they're single moms or, or yeah. moms with intact families. That was how I did it. As I said, my mom wasn't well, so I couldn't ask her to really take on that role. So it really did fall to me to, to navigate that. And, I remember uh, when Hillary Clinton said, it takes a village. I mm -hmm. said, oh, sister, <laughs> you have no idea. You know, and I figured out during my time as a single mom that Far be it from me to think that I am the be-all and end-all. I have girlfriends who can share their lives with my kids. Mm -hmm. I have sisters-in-law. I have neighbors who were willing to step in when I couldn't. And I feel like the fabric of my children's lives were richer for it. I agree. I, I think no kid can have enough love. So yes. why not why not have an aunt here, even if it's not a real aunt right. or an uncle there? I think that's wonderful. I, I will say that my daughter feels that even her cousins that aren't her cousins are her cousins. So yeah. I think that that's really important. Finding love again mm -hmm. is magical, something that you and I both share uh, a wonderful second marriage is. For me, it's all about gratitude. What has this experience been like for you? Well, I never wanted to get married again. I had not had a great experience being married before. And so uh, I was divorced for 23 years, which was a really long time. I'd had long-term relationships, but never really took the plunge or wanted to go that direction. But when I met Jordan, A, he was a widower, so it was sort of different. There wasn't going to be uh, an angry ex-wife, just more of a sad situation, if you will, for right. his children and for him. And he had had a marriage that he was happy with. Yeah. And so I think that makes it different, too. The fact that we are at a different point in our lives, we're not raising children, we're not worrying about shuttling people to daycare, I mean, all of that made it a really different type of decision to actually think about getting married again. We'll be together five years in May, married three. It's been terrific. You have happy written all over your face. That makes me happy, too. Last couple questions we ask everyone who sits where you are. At the end of the day, what matters the most to you, Roberta? At the end of the day, can I look in the mirror and know that I've been my authentic self? That's really important to me, that I feel like I'm real and bringing who I am to situations and as a mom in particular, I really, really want to have raised an independent, self-sufficient daughter, someone who can stand on her own two feet and feel good in the world. When an obstacle is in your path, how do you get around it? Any way, any, any way, over, around, through, under, I will try whatever I need to, whether it's for somebody who's dealing with a health challenge when I want to get something done, there's not much that's going to stop me. 
What is the best advice you have ever received, whether that be career advice or personal advice? And can you pass it along to our listeners today? The faintest ink is better than the most retentive memory. That is one piece of advice that I've gotten. And I do believe in writing things down, whether it's goals, whether it's somebody's phone number, whether it's a list of things I need to do or to buy. I do believe in not challenging my brain too much. So writing things down. And finally, at this moment, at this time, in this chapter of your life, what does success mean to you? Success means to me liberty. Liberty to do what I want, with whom I want, when I want, and how I want. And that is what success is. It's very, very simple. Do I get to spend the time my way without anybody else telling me that I have to do it, that I should do it? I better do it. That's what success is for me now. I want to say thank you so much for sharing an incredible success story with us today. Roberta Sidney on the story behind her success. Thank you. Thank you, Candy. Thanks for listening to the story behind her success with Candy O'Terry. This is a series with one goal in mind, to shine the spotlight on women doing great things with their lives. We hope these weekly stories will motivate and inspire you. If you'd like to suggest someone for Candy to interview, she'd love to hear about it. Connect with her anytime on Facebook, Twitter, and her website, CandyOterry.com. That's C-A-N-D-Y-O-T-E-R-R-Y.com. You'll find all of these links in the show notes. What's your story?